Well, thank you for worshiping with us. Thank you for coming into his presence with singing and into his courts with song. Let me just say this as we move to Jonah chapter 3. If you are here today and you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you are doing what you can to serve him, there is a word for you to hear today. Sometimes we think we are an exclusive group and we are not. And if you are here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, there is a word for you today. And my prayer is that you will let it in and that you will hear that there is an opportunity for you today. You ever missed a chance? You ever missed a chance? You just wanted a second chance. Well, the word of the Lord came to Jonah in chapter 1, and he missed a chance. But the word comes to him again in chapter 3. And the word is, that came to him originally was, go to that great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I will tell you. Now, we're going to find that Jonah obeyed God the second time. <laughs> but the question I want us to consider today is this. What was it about Nineveh that was the root of Jonah's disobedience? And the short answer is this. Jonah did not think that Nineveh was worthy of the gospel. He did not think that they were worthy of forgiveness. Perhaps didn't think they were capable of repentance. And so the question then, here we are already at number one, if you're taking notes. We haven't even read our text yet. Were the people of Nineveh worthy of the gospel? And the easy answer is no. Uh-oh, where's the pastor going now? They were not worthy of the gospel. God said, go to Nineveh, that great city, and Jonah went the other way. Because he didn't believe that they were worthy of the gospel. So what was it about Nineveh? Well, God says in chapter 1 that their evil has come up before me. Listen, don't ever think God missed it. Another translation says that Nineveh stinks to high heaven. So what was it about Nineveh? Across the Tigris River in modern-day Mosul, northern Iraq, there are a few mounds of dirt that is all that is left of Nineveh. Some of the ancient gates have been rebuilt in that area. Actually, ISIS came in and destroyed some of that. Nineveh was founded, if you remember from our previous study, was founded in Genesis 10:11 by Nimrod. It's a very ancient city. Remember about Nimrod that Nimrod wanted to be known as a great man. He wanted to be known as a powerful hunter, mighty hunter in the face of God. And so these people in Nineveh, they spent their lives wanting to make a name for themselves. The city was a very important city throughout thousands of years in the early part of history. 
until it falls in about 612 B.C. The city had walls that were said to be 100 feet high. It is said that they contained 1,500 watchtowers that were 200 feet high. I mean, this was a city. But it was not simply being a great city that caught God's attention. At Jonah's time, the Assyrian kingdom there had shrunk to where the city of Nineveh was really the only thing that was left prominent. But it was their great evil, their wickedness, that caused God to send Jonah and say, I've had enough. King Ashurbanipal was known to tear off the lips and the hands of his enemies. King uh, Tiglath-Pelesaurus took the skin off of his victims while they were still alive and covered the walls of the city with it. He piled up their skulls outside the city as a warning to any enemies that would come. They would burn hundreds at the stake at a time. They, they, they displayed their feeling of immunity from justice and retaliation. They believed that they were immune to prosecution. But God had seen. Now you can write that down. But God had seen. Verse 2 of chapter 1 says, Their evil has come up before me. Were they worthy of the gospel? And I use that term gospel that's not here because the word gospel means good news. And so this is more, I believe, than a proclamation of judgment. There was an offer going on here. And the question is, were they worthy of the offer? And the answer is no. For many of the reasons I've just told you, they were not worthy. They were awful. But God proclaimed their wickedness and judgment. But the fact that he proclaimed wickedness and judgment, that warning that God gives is an offer, hear me now, of good news. There is an alternative being offered. Because listen, God could have just brought judgment, right? If they're worthy of judgment, God doesn't have to tell them it's coming even. He can just bring it. But there's always an offer of forgiveness. Look at chapter 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach the message that I tell you. And Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now, Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, In forty days Nineveh will be demolished. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. And when the word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne 
took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh by the order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock, is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both animal and um, people and animals must be covered with sackcloth, and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. And God saw their actions. That they had turned from their evil ways, so God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. Now, if you walk back through this again, God could have just lowered the boom. But instead, he gives a message. He gave them an opportunity. Say opportunity. He tested their hearts. And there are really kind of two angles, if you will, to see here. One is, if you are away from God, there is a reality and there is a potential reality. But for those of you who know Jesus, there's another thing that we need to see. How do we view those who are away from God, separated from God, and the potential for their repentance? God says, preach the message I tell you. And it should be noted that Nineveh turned to God. We'll look at this even more in depth, particularly about Jonah next week, or next time, not next week, but next time. Write down, Nineveh believed and repented, and God relented. Now, Let's be honest, let's be truthful, let's be historical. Nineveh believed and repented and God relented, and that was honestly only for a few generations. Because this is in the middle 8th century, and by 612, in the early part, latter part of the, the 7th century, Nineveh was destroyed, never to rise again. Let me just let you in on that. In Nahum, he talks about it. Nahum chapter 1, verse 3, it says, The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will never leave the guilty unpunished. His path in the world is in the whirlwind and storm and clouds are the dust beneath his feet. Verse 7, Nahum 1 says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in a day of distress. He cares for those who take refuge in him, but he will completely destroy Nineveh with an overwhelming flood and he will chase his enemies into darkness. Verse 14 says, the Lord has issued an order concerning you. There will be no offspring to carry on your name. I will eliminate the carved idol and cast image from the house of your gods, and I will prepare your grave, for you are contemptible. And then at the end of Nahum's prophecy in in Nahum 3.19, it says, there is no remedy for your injury. Your wound is severe. All who hear the news about you will clap their hands because of you, for you have not experienced, or for those who has not experienced your constant cruelty. Everyone has experienced your constant cruelty. Here's the, here's the point there. 
There was a systemic wickedness in Nineveh. And it survived this awakening under Jonah's ministry. But in that time, in the 8th century under Jonah, under his preaching, Nineveh turned to God. And I believe then, listen, there will be Ninevites in heaven. Write this down. God forgives. God restores. His compassion is available and faithful and great. Somebody say, I know that's right. Scripture says in Revelation 7, 9, that at the throne in heaven there will be people from every race, tribe, color, and tongue. So I have no doubt that there will be many from Nineveh that truly turn to him in this day. Was Nineveh worthy of the gospel? No. Nineveh wasn't worthy of the gospel. But there's another important truth for us today. If Nineveh is not worthy of the gospel, neither are we. You see, Nineveh had a human problem. Nineveh was from a long line of wickedness. You can just say ouch right there. Wickedness is a systemic problem in the human race. Genesis 6, 5 and 6 says, When the Lord saw their human wickedness was widespread on the earth, that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he made man on the earth and he was deeply grieved. That was before the flood. And God destroyed the world and started over with Noah. But in the book of Job, perhaps the earliest of the writings is the book of Job. And Job 4, 17 to 19 says, Can a mortal man be righteous before God? Can a man be more pure than his maker? If God puts no trust in his servants and he charges his angels with foolishness, how much more those who dwell in clay houses, whose foundations is in the dust, who are crushed like a moth? Job fifteen sixteen says, How much less one who is revolting and corrupt, who drinks injustice like water? Did we just take that right off the newspaper headlines today? David knew it. Psalm 14, 1 to 3 says, The fool says in his heart, there's no God. They're corrupt. They're, they do evil deeds. There's no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the human race to see if there was no one or if there is one who is wise and one who seeks God. But all have turned away. All alike have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Psalm 51, 5. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born, David says. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. His son Solomon knew it. Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, many a man proclaims his own loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy person? He wrote about it in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 20, that says, there is, no, there is certainty, certainly no one righteous on the earth who does good and never sins. Verse 29 says, only see this. I have discovered that God made people upright, but they pursued many schemes. Then, of course, we figured it out and we got it right. That was all Old Testament stuff, right? Paul says in Romans 3, beginning in verse 9, what then are we better off? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Gentiles all are under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even 
Well, we've gotten 2,000 years nearly past that. We figured it out, right? No, we lie and we steal and we covet and we murder and we take the lives of thousands of innocent babies every day and we abuse ourselves and we abuse others. We abuse the innocent as well as the guilty and we can do nothing, it seems, to stop it. And if we were to right now start listing our own sins, we'd be here a minute. Folks, here's my point. If Nineveh isn't worthy of the gospel, neither are we. I wonder if there's anyone that you think or have thought that they're not worthy of the gospel. Maybe you haven't said that because we're good folks. But the call comes, the opportunity comes to share the gospel with them and you didn't share because you thought they wouldn't have it. You thought they couldn't have it. You thought they shouldn't have it. You thought they, they, they shouldn't be able to respond. But remember the heart of God. Second Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to what? Repentance. Remember, Hebrews 3.13 says, encourage each other daily while it is still called today. I checked the calendar and it is today. While it is still called today, so that no one of you is hardened by sin's deception. See, sin is the one that says you can't or you shouldn't. And so what are we supposed to encourage them? Hebrews 3.15 says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Hebrews 4.1 then continues, Therefore, since the promise to enter his rest remains, another translation says, still stands, let us beware that none of you be found to have fallen short. Listen to me, the offer still stands. So say this with me, if it is today, then the offer of God still stands. Oh, let's say that again. If it is today, then the offer of God still stands. So get on the internet and check it. Check it on your phone. Find out if it's today. If it's today, the offer still stands. What we should see today is that we are not worthy of the gospel. And Nineveh wasn't worthy of the gospel. But God proclaimed it anyway. And Nineveh experienced God's grace and mercy. So then number three. Write it down. If Nineveh can be graced, then so can you. And so can I. This is a good word. This is good news. I'm here today to tell you that if God can grace me, then he can grace you. That's the message that has been going into homes over the last three weeks while Samaritan's Purse have been here working. Is that there's an opportunity for grace today. And if, if you can be graced... Guess what? Anybody can. In Matthew 12, 41, Jesus said that Jonah was to be a sign to the Ninevites. And that Jesus' death and resurrection would be a sign to his generation, a sign to Nineveh. Now, look at that picture. 
See, last week I told you about James Bartley in 1891. James Bartley was a whaler. And he was washed overboard and swallowed by a sperm whale. And he was assumed dead. Pretty good assumption. And a couple of days later, that whale happened to be caught and killed. And when they cut open, there was an unconscious but still alive James Bartley. And it is said, now he, he returned to the whaling business. Can you believe that? And it is said that the rest of his life, he was known for having a strangely bleached skin. And so I imagine him looking a little like Doc from Back to the Future. Is no doubt from being in the 105 degree belly of a whale and under the influence of stomach acids for 36 hours. When Jonah showed up at Nineveh, can't you just see him looking like that to the 10th? I mean, a bit disheveled, a bit back to the future, hair kind of. And it says he was to preach or proclaim or call out. The word is call, Ray. And I love that. You know, this week I'm going to be doing my annual sermon planning retreat where I'll, I'll plan the outlines for my sermons for the next 12 months. There wasn't a whole lot of sermon prep that Jonah had to do. You know, he just, he didn't have a big sermon. He just says, 40 days and Nineveh will be demolished. It's a three-day walk, it said, through Nineveh. And Jonah didn't make an appointment with the leadership, didn't make an appointment for an audience with the king or any religious leaders. Jonah just set out, it says, on the first day of his walk and proclaimed, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. So if it took Jonah three days to go through the city, I guess after three days in the depths of the sea in the belly of a fish, he could make it three days through Nineveh. What a sight. But if God could deliver Jonah from the depths, then he could deliver Nineveh from the grave of sin. And I have imagined what that must have looked like. You know, here he comes, looking wild and crazy, and he's just walking through the city. And I'm sort of imagining as a preacher that he kind of waited till he had drawn such a gathering of people looking at him. And once... Enough of those people, maybe they're just kind of walking with him, wanting to see what's going on. And when there's enough, then he just gives his message. And he does that, and he does that, and he does that. And it says, the people of Nineveh believed God. It doesn't even say that the people of Nineveh talked to the king. But it just says he got word. And when word reached the king, he got up from his throne, he took off his royal robe, he covered himself with sackcloth, sat down in ashes, and then he issued a decree. Sounds like repentance to me. The king said, do not let any man or beast Herd or flock, taste anything. He, he covered, let everyone be covered in sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God and keep up their, uh, give up their evil ways. And, 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 and 
end their violence. And who knows? God may relent. And God may with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Write it down. These people truly repented. Verse 5 says, Then the people of Nineveh repented. How do we see it? They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest to the least. And so it seems to me when I read through this, that these first people in verse 5 sort of set the pattern for the king and everyone else that followed. What's the pattern? Confession and forgiveness and the move of God. One of the greatest simple verses in Scripture is found in Isaiah 45, 22, where God says, Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said that was the verse preached by a deacon on the Sunday that he went into a little Methodist church because he couldn't get to his Baptist church because there was too much snow and the preacher couldn't even show up and there was a deacon there and the deacon opened and read this. And Spurgeon, who had wrestled with God for all of his teenage years, the guy looked right at him and said, Son, anyone can turn. And he turned to God that day. Listen to me. God still calls out to all of the world. And he called out to Nineveh. And there was a a, a citywide awakening. The message in verse 4 is 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. And, and this, this word of judgment, demolished, overturned, or destroyed, ha-fak. It's a word of possibility because it literally means be overturned, be turned upside down. And that really made my mind kind of wander. You see, the revelation from God about our sin is a realization of condemnation, but it's also an opportunity for transformation. Because transformation is coming one way or the other. Listen, Ferguson. We have been praying that God will change the narrative of our lives. That God will change the narrative of our church. That God will change the narrative of our city. And we want to love and serve and transform because that's what God does. And so we can either be overturned by God in judgment on our pride and our sin, or we can be turned upside down by the God of grace and forgiveness. You see, overturning is coming. We either die to ourself or we die in our self-righteousness, one or the other. And he can either turn us inside out or turn us out of his presence. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 21, 44. When Jesus says, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce fruit. Whoever falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whom it falls, he will be shattered. Same Jesus. It's what we do with him. If we turn to him, if we fall on him, broken before him, 
He transforms us. If he must fall on us, we are shattered. Jonah, this wild-eyed, bleached-out preacher, comes to a doomed city with urgency, and he cries out with clarity, God will demolish and overturn this city. But there's a possibility in this message. And they believed it. You see, some folks finally get to the place where we all must get, where we no longer think we can do anything. That's why tragedy often is such a fertile place for the gospel. Because we realize we're not in charge. There are some folks perhaps here today that heard the gospel and responded to it this week. And you have believed in the possibility. Maybe you're here today and you're struggling. What does God want? Is there a possibility? I'm here today to tell you there is. And I wonder. See, some of you have turned yourself to God and God has turned you upside down and turned you inside out and turned you into something else. Listen, God has a plan for you to share your story with somebody else that's been where you've been. God wants to use you. God wants to use your life. God wants to use your testimony. God wants to call someone else into life transformation in the power of Jesus Christ. And so I wonder what it would take for awakening to set fire across this city and across this county, across the metro area, across the state, across the USA. I don't know what it will take, but could it be that we are the key? Let it not be that we will be in the way. My question is, can God turn the world upside down through us? I love Acts 17. Since I was first, one of the first sermons that I ever preached was from Acts 17. I was just a teenage boy, but I loved what it said. Because Paul goes into Thessalonica and he explains and he proves, it says, to the crowd and many Jews and Gentiles followed Jesus. And then a mob came and persecuted. And verse 6, here was their accusation. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Oh, I wish somebody could say that about First Baptist Church. These people who have turned Ferguson upside down have come here. These people who have turned the world upside down have come here. Could Ferguson be a place that again turns the city of Ferguson upside down? You know, our message is real simple. It's what Paul had in Acts 20, verse 21. He says, it says, I testified to Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. 
You don't have to be a preacher. The message is repent, turn toward God, and have faith in Jesus. Are you willing? Are you a little bit scared? Jonah was scared. But once he'd survived three days in that fish, he knew he could survive three days in Nineveh. Oh, you guys have been through some stuff. You can get through anything. What has God brought you through? What has God saved you from? And if Jonah can be graced and delivered from the depths, then Nineveh can be delivered from judgment. If Nineveh can be delivered from judgment, if Nineveh can be graced and forgiven, then so can you and I. And if you and I can be graced and forgiven, then to whom are we assigned? Whom does God want to turn upside down and inside out by the power of the Spirit? We're to go urgently, that is, get straight to it, and clearly tell them what Jesus has said and done, compassionately, that there is hope because of what God has done for us. And Nineveh testifies that anyone, say anyone, Anyone who believes can experience forgiveness in life. Nineveh testifies that anyone who rejects God is without hope. Our message is just like the message Jonah gave. Not a timeline, 40 days, but a reality. Romans 3.23, that all have sinned. There it is. And Romans 6.23, that the payment for that sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And our message is Romans 10.13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You are a whoever. So what should I do? 10.9 says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And you will be saved. All right, I need to finish. Did, Did you see what repentance looks like? We have all these things we think repentance looks like. It was right there with the king. What does repentance look like? Get off the throne. We have to reject our perception of our right to rule. We got to get off the throne. And then he took off his royal robe. That is, he took off his self-righteousness, his clothing that says, this is who I am. And then he humbled himself. That is covered himself with sackcloth, sat in ashes. We have to clothe ourselves in humility. And then he turned. That's what Isaiah says, turn to me. He turned. He said, you need to turn from your evil ways, turn from your violence. And then he trusted. Who knows? God may just turn his anger and we will not perish. That's repentance right there. Get off the throne Take off your own righteousness, humble yourself, turn to God, and trust God. How about you? How about Ferguson? How about the world? That's it right there. That's the message we give. That's the message we take. Would you pray with me? Father, there is nothing else that we need but Jesus. And so in this moment, 
we humble ourselves and we turn to you. Father, in this moment, if someone is here and they are considering trusting Jesus Christ, I pray that in this holy moment, having heard the truth, that they would do that. If you're here today or you're watching us online and you're considering Jesus, would you respond to him right now by faith? Would you say, I'm a sinner and my sin separates me from God and I believe that Jesus died for me and I receive that by faith. I give myself, I believe in Jesus and I trust him. It's a decision today to trust what God has done for you. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing I can do but receive it by faith. And so I'd encourage you to do that this moment. And if you've done that, perhaps you did that this week. Somebody came to your house to work on your house and you trusted Christ. We want to give you your first opportunity to take a stand for Jesus. In a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to worship. And as we stand and sing, we'll have elders here at the front. There'll be spouses close with them. If you would like to come and say, I've given my life to Jesus Christ, we'd like to celebrate that with you today. Maybe you'd like to say, I've trusted Jesus Christ. I've never been baptized. I need to be baptized. You come and say, I need to be baptized. If God has said this is to be your church home, then you would come and say, I want to walk with Jesus with you.